Thank you, Natasha, for that testimony and for that song. Uh, you just don't know how much it meant to me because as I was preparing, I was going, why am I supposed to be doing this? And when you said what you said and sang, I went, yep, fits right in with it. So that was an encouragement to me. If you were not here this morning, I'll uh, introduce myself. My son this morning introduced me. I'm sitting out in the foyer, and he begins, he said, well, Pastor Brooks wanted me to tell you who I am, and he began talking and saying things, and I went, oh, you just took my introduction. (laughs) Of course, from now on, I'll have to make sure that I check with him, if we preach in the same day again, what his introduction is going to be. But for those of you that were here, hi, I'm Tyler's dad. Uh, I figured that would get some of you laughing. (laughs) Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. Let's read this chapter and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Psalms chapter 16, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows have been, shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullest of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. I pray that you would just use it to speak to hearts. Lord, only you can do that. And Lord, I just ask you to just... Bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Tyler told you this morning, we were serving in a church in Florida. Some of you are going to get a real big chuckle out of the next statement that I'm about to make. There is a big difference between Florida and South Dakota. (laughs) You see, one of the most visible differences that you see between Florida and South Dakota is that here we have four seasons. But in Florida, 
Maybe if you're fortunate, you have three. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, where we were in Florida, when winter would come, it would last about two weeks. It got to be about 40 degrees. Of course, you, you were really cold during that time because different humidity and, you know, we, we would just complain about how cold it was. Whenever we moved up here, people would look at me and say, what do you mean, Brother Brock? Don't you know it gets cold in South Dakota? I said, I'll get used to it. Don't worry about it. I'll be just fine. But you see, in here in South Dakota, we have four seasons. The Probably the most beautiful season, I think, is fall. You say, well, why do you say it's fall? Because in winter, all I do is shovel snow. <laughs> so therefore, it's not pretty. Well, I guess it is. It's just not pretty on my sidewalk. But anyway, uh, during the fall, we get to see the trees. We get to see the changing colors. And uh, hopefully, the changing colors of the leaves. And hopefully, you've been able to go out and enjoy uh, looking at those fall colors. Because whether we want it to happen or not, winter is a coming. And those beautiful, beautiful leaves will have fallen. You're going, now I know you read Psalm 16, and I don't see anything about trees, I don't see anything about colors or anything like that. Well, you have to understand that things can often become commonplace. And we get in a zone sometimes uh, and we don't notice what's happening around us. You see, this psalm, chapter 16, is a psalm of David. It's called a messianic psalm because of the reference to Christ in verse number 10. As I was looking at commentaries, uh, I saw that there were basically two thoughts. One is this psalm is totally talking about Christ, or it's about partially about Christ and partially about David. If you know anything about commentaries, if you look at one and open to another one, you're bound to find out that that person that wrote it is probably going to have a different rendering of what that first one you read. I can remember when I was in college, I went to a particular class. I was thankful it was the minor prophets class. Uh, the teacher said, if you want to really study a book in the Bible, you need to read it ten times before you start studying it. Now, the book of Psalms would be an interesting ten-time journey through it. But, I think you can probably use that on any passage of Scripture. You say, well, why do you do that? Because you let the passage 
begin to speak to you. And you can see what the Lord is giving you. Well, this evening, I'm not here to debate which is the proper view about this chapter. I just, I'm here to let us know what the psalmist was looking at and what he saw. Hence the little story about the leaves. Because if you look at chapter 16 of Psalms, I think you'll hopefully get what I'm trying to bring across. If you're taking notes, I will not do as I do in chapel. You say, well, what do you do in chapel? Kids are taking notes, and if we come to a big word for the younger ones, I spell it out. Now, if you need for me to do that, just raise your hand, and I will spell it out for you. Probably not. I'll be so ingrained in what I'm supposed to do. If you're looking or if you're taking down notes or if you're looking for a title, it's the four looks, L-O-O-K-S. See, it's, it's habit. I did it. Of David. David. As you look at Psalm 16, maybe your Bible has what my Bible has underneath that uh, title that says Psalm 16. It says, Midcam of David, and I pronounced it incorrectly, I'm sure, but that word means it's a poem, or maybe even you might say an engraving, something to be noticed, I guess you could say. Somebody has said that this particular psalm is a song that leads one into the deep things of God. And if you spend much time looking at this psalm and reading it, I think you'll agree. There is some pretty deep stuff in this psalm. We're not going to talk about all that this evening. We're going to talk about the simple things. So if things seem abbreviated about a verse, just remember, I'm a teacher, not a preacher, okay? All right, you can tell the difference when people has called people to preach. Uh, you can just tell. But for me, I got this low-tone voice that drolls on, and the kids in chapel go. And I do goofy stuff to wake them up. But anyway, number one, the psalmist looks above and prays. We're going to look in verse 1 and 2 and see what he was looking above for and then praying. In verse number 1, he said, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. You see, he is praying for God to keep him. When you read this chapter, you'll, you won't find something that says that David was in danger. Uh, and, and sometimes Psalms will, such as Psalms 18, uh, at least my Bible talks about how uh, David escaped from the hand of Saul. But when you read this chapter, you don't see anything that indicates that David is in, in danger, in trouble. You say, well, what is he doing? He's simply calling on God to continue 
his care of him. He's saying, Lord, preserve me, O God. The word preserve there has the idea of surrounding someone as a bodyguard would surround a monarch or a king. I'm going to date myself, but some of you history nuts might remember an Egyptian leader by the name of Anwar Sadat. He was making a big step in history and for his country because he was trying to make peace with Israel. The problem was his bodyguards didn't protect him as they should have. Because one day when a parade was going down the street, someone jumped out and shot Anwar Sadat and killed him. You see, David was putting his trust, asking for God to protect him. He said, for in thee do I put my trust. You see, David was acknowledging that God was his only hope and his all-sufficient help. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You know, it's very easy for us sometimes to trust in our own abilities. And we need to make sure that we are like David and call out to him and say, Lord, preserve me, protect me. And he said, for in thee do I trust. In verse 2, he expresses his satisfaction with God. He says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. Whenever I saw that verse and read it, I immediately thought back to Psalms 23. Psalms 23 in the first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, there was a little kid who was trying to quote this verse to his mom or maybe even to his Sunday school teacher, and he said, The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. You know what? I think he got it right. He got it right. We need to be like David and said, David said to the Lord, he said, Thou Art my Lord. You know, when you look at the last part of that verse, it says, My goodness extendeth not to thee. And it was really interesting to look at some of the explanations that these commentaries gave. It was just, like I said, really interesting. And, and that, that, you know, phrase is kind of puzzling. You say, well, what in the world is David talking about? He said, uh, well, what I, I believe he was saying was that David was saying that his goodness holds no comparison to God's goodness to us. The Lord is so good 
to us. When was the last time that you sat down with a pen and a piece of paper and wrote down how you are satisfied with God? It's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Of course, the very first thing we would write down, we would say, Lord, I'm so satisfied with your salvation. You've provided salvation through your Son. Do you know we might put down, I'm so satisfied that God gave me the family that I have. Kind of hard sometimes for brother and sister to sit down, or brother and brother to sit down and do that. But you ought to be satisfied with the family that God's given you. You really should. Of course, you'd write down, well, I'm so thankful for my health. Say, oh, Brother Brock, you just don't realize I have health problems. You see, you need to be thankful and satisfied with those health problems as well. Say, how in the world you can say that? Well, it's been an interesting two years in the Brock House. And you know, you just have to say, Lord, I'm satisfied with what you're doing in my heart and in my life. You need to also, you could write down, are you satisfied or thankful to God for your friends? Friends are a treasure. You really need to realize that. Friends are a treasure. Cultivate friendship with the right people. Because when you do and hard times come, they'll be right there beside you. They'll be right there beside you. But you know, we also need to say that we're thankful for a place to serve. Are you thankful that the Lord's placed you right here and allowed you to serve? How are we satisfied with God? Try it sometime. Maybe those get you started. It gets you to thinking. How satisfied are you with God? And that's what David has said. He said, Lord, my goodness doesn't come anywhere near yours. You're so good to us. The second look that we'll look at is found in verse 3 and 4. It says, the psalmist looks around. Look at verse 3. He says, but the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. See, David was telling of his love for the saints. Someone has said that the soul that loves God loves the people of God. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 13 and look at verse number 5. I've got it written, 35, excuse me. I've got it written down and I could read it, but I think you will Try to understand a little bit more what I'm trying to say. Remember, David was telling of his love 
for the saints. Look at verse 35 of chapter 13 in John. He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. I've heard this verse read, and I probably have even said it myself when I didn't have the Bible in front of me. Sometimes people will say, if you have love one for another. It doesn't say that. See, you can have love for somebody and do nothing about it. You can say, hey, I love that person. But that's not what the Lord is talking about here. He says, if, you, if ye have love one to another, we need to show that love to that person. You say, well, how can we do that? We need to pray for one another daily. Sure, we can say, let's pray. We'll pray for our church. And we lump this great big our church in there. Uh, Take a few minutes and write people's names down. And then say, Lord, I want you to be a blessing to, and then tell them who you are praying for. We need to do that. We need to pray for one another individually every single day. If you have the time, you can write everybody's name down, pray for the whole church. But if you're you know, going to a job or something, pray for that person. Pray for that one person and then do it daily. We need to pray for our church and for the ministries that it has. There are people that come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, that faithfully serve in the ministries of our church. Some of them you may not even see. You don't know what they're doing. It's behind the scene things. And you know what? We need to pray for our church, for the ministries of our church. We also can pray for our country daily. Tyler mentioned that this morning, and I think Brother Tim mentioned something about our country. We need to pray for our country daily. See, there are many other ways to show love to a person. You say, well, what are they? Why don't you ask the Lord to lay somebody on your heart and then say, Lord, what can I do to show love to them. See what he says. Do what he tells you to do. Look at verse 4. He says, Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I, will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. You see, David was telling of his aversion uh, to all those who worship any other God. David knew that the sorrow was going to come to those who worshipped other gods. David was saying, you see, there in the last part of verse 4, he said, I will not offer nor take up their names into my lips. He said he was not going to be part of their worship. 
You see, some of this, some of us may look at that and say, well, then we don't need to, you know, pray for them. No, that's entirely the opposite thing we need to do. We need to pray for those people that are serving false gods. We need to pray for them daily. The third thing that the psalmist said is we find in verse 5 through 8. It's the psalmist looks within. Look at verse 5. He says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. In verse 5, David said that he was rejoicing in God, his portion. See, when the people of Israel went into the land uh, of Israel, when they were, had conquered it and they went in, the tribes were given a portion of the land. But there was one tribe that was not given a portion. That tribe was the tribe of Levi. God told Aaron in Numbers 18 and verse 20, He said, I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. You see, God was telling Aaron that He was going to provide for them. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 24 says, Therefore, the Lord is my portion. Excuse me, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will trust in Him. I have a question for us this evening. Is God our portion? Are we looking to God for our strength and our needs? If you're not, you need to look to Him as to be your portion, to be your lot, to be your strength. That phrase, thou maintainest my lot. So often we don't rely on the Lord to supply for us. We'll sit there and go, ah, that's all right, I can do this, we say. But you know what? The Lord says, no, you can't. And he says, let me be your portion. Let me be your supply. In verse 7, he begins to get a little excited. He says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. The last part of that verse, we were in chapel, I would say it's not R-A-I-N-S, but R-E-I-N-S. Those kids think of rain and, okay, anyway. David was getting excited. You see, he was rejoicing continually in God. He says there, in verse 6, he says, The lions have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. See, wherever he was, we don't know where he was, he said, I am so glad that I want to bless the Lord. Did I skip a verse? I think I did, didn't I? 
Yeah, see, that's what happens when you have notes and you try to make them big enough where you can read them. You sometimes get mixed up. All right, back to verse 6. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Wherever David was, he was glad that he has a, had a pleasant place. He had a goodly heritage. You say, well, what do you mean? He has a pleasant place. Well, wherever he was, was a place of security. Why? Because he had made God his portion. He had said, Lord, thou art my God. He also had a place of rest. There are times that you just want to say, Lord, I give up. But you know what? If you're letting the Lord be your portion, letting Him be your, your Lord, your God, He says, I have a place of rest for you if you'll only come. And there, He also had a hiding place, a place that He could hide, knowing that He would be protected from the world. Now he gets excited in verse number 7. He says, I will bless the Lord who giveth me counsel. You see, David was giving thanks for the counsel that he had received from the Lord. We need to read God's Word daily so He can give us counsel. He'll give us counsel for the daily struggles that we have, whether they be physically or they might be something spiritually. And if we do that, as David said in the remainder of that verse, he says, in the night, my rains also instruct me in the night seasons. Have you ever been reading God's Word and thinking about it, and then all of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the night and you begin to think about what the Lord's been giving you. I've had that happen several times. It's, it's so enjoyable. You know, you, you sit there and you're, uh, you know, you're so asleep and then all of a sudden, you know, the Lord nudges you and you wake up and you can't go back to sleep. So what I do is I usually get up, go downstairs, and I'll read God's Word. And David said, my reins, my innermost thoughts instructed me in the night seasons. Why? Because he had been reading God's Word. Verse number 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. When I read that verse and looked at it, I said, you know what? I believe David had given the Lord preeminence in his life. He said, Lord, I have to set you before me always. And because he had done that, because he had set the Lord before him, looking to him for that strength, looking to him for that guidance, he said, I shall not be moved. Once again, he was saying, I'm trusting in the preserving, protecting power of the Lord. 
A good example would be Job. If you know the story of Job, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? A lot of times we think it's the other way around, that the devil runs the Lord and says, well, what about that servant of yours? Now, if you read that story, the Lord went to the devil and said, have you considered my servant? You see, Job was tried and he was tested, but in the end, he was restored and he was blessed. The fourth thing that the psalmist was looking at is found in verse 9 through 11. Verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. You see, David knew that his joy was going to be eternal. He said, therefore, my heart is glad. Why was his heart glad? Because if you look at the verses before that, he said, Lord, you're my Lord, you're my portion Uh, You've given me counsel. I've set you before me. Uh, You're at my right hand, and, and I'll not be moved. He was so excited because God was his portion. He had watched, been watched over by the Lord, and that he was in a place of rest and security. His spirit rejoiced in the fact that God was preserving him, watching over him. In verse 10, this is the verse that I think uh, is referring to the Lord. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, David knew that he would be resurrected. David knew that he would not be in hell because we know that because of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because of the phrase we see in verse number 10. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross, was nailed to that cross and shed his blood for our redemption. They took him off that cross, put him in that tomb, and three days later, what happened? He arose. He arose. And we can be thankful and rejoice and be happy because we have the assurance of the resurrection. God gives us that assurance. He said, David knew, he said, Thou wilt not suffer thine holy one, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, to see corruption. In verse number 11, he says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see, if you look at verse 11, there are, Three or four words that are brought to light or are really important in the first part of that verse. 
David realized that the Lord knew the path of his life. He said, thou, talking about God. You see, we have a guide in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our Heavenly Father. He said, thou wilt show me. You see, I'm just a traveler in this life just like you are. Needing a guide, someone to show me what? The path, the way that I should walk in life. And he says, the word life talks about our journey that we have. See, every single one of us have a different journey or a different path that we're walking. Kids go, you mean I can't follow my mom or dad in their path? You can get some instructions from them. You can get some guidance from them. But God has a particular path for you. And even after we get all these gray hairs on our head, we get all those kids all raised and they're out of the house and, you know, you get grandkids or whatever. And you still have a path that you're going to walk. And you still need a guide to show you what that way is. You see, David did, and he said, In thy presence is fullness of joy. If you let him be your guide, you're going to have that fullness of joy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to be a wonderful time. Everything is going to be a bed of roses, and you know, you're going to make millions and zillions of dollars. You might. But then again, the Lord might say, This is the path I have for you. And you need to realize that if you follow that path and stay in His presence, you'll have fullness of joy. And he says, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Young people, the world is trying to show you its pleasures. Only problem is, they're not truthful about those pleasures. Because you're going to go out into the world, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And it's not what God would have you to do. And you're going to find out that pleasure wasn't what you thought it was. But let me tell you, if you'll stay on the path that the Lord's given you, stay at His right hand, you'll have pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. I remember a story, it may be true, it may be not, maybe a pastor, a preacher, somebody made up this illustration. Maybe it was true, I don't know. There was a missionary, and they were serving in an area where there was a jungle. And of course, if you have ever been to a jungle or been in an area where there are a lot of trees, you know that there are things that sometimes reside in those trees. 
missionary was there. His son was playing underneath a tree. Uh, he said, son, he got his attention. He said, fall down on the ground. Crawl to me. Some of us would go, why, Dan? What do you mean I got to fall down on the ground and crawl? The little boy did exactly like his father had told him. He fell to the ground. He crawled to his dad. His dad picked him up and hugged him. Little kid probably thought, oh, I obeyed dad. That was great. And he turned the little boy around and he pointed up in the tree. There was a snake, a poisonous snake that was there. And had his son stayed there and played, he may have been bitten. You see, we are the same way. The Lord tells us, son, daughter, I want you to do this. Maybe not physically drop down and crawl to him. But he says, I want you to do this. And you go, well, I don't know, Lord. That's awful hard. We just need to be obedient and say, Lord, you're my guide and I'm going to follow you. The four looks of the the psalmist. He looked above and prayed. He looked around. He looked within. And he looked beyond. I hope there was something that I talked about this evening that's been an encouragement to you. I know it was an encouragement to me. And I pray that it's been an encouragement to you. So I'll stand with her heads bowed and her eyes closed.